We are finishing up with Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, and we finished last month before Thanksgiving with the second coming of Christ. And now we go back and we go to the first coming of Christ. And so we go back way to the very beginning, as we talked about in Genesis. But as you begin to, as I begin to uh, think about this this season, I was asking the Lord. I said, "Well, how? What themes? What themes are really uh, I could I could track on, and what do you want me to deliver?" And so sometimes it's when you're preparing a sermon, you hear the same old, same old. So I always dig around and try to make it interesting, and I hope you find this one interesting because uh, there are some things interesting. The Lord always does this. If you ask God a question, he gives you answers. Have you ever done that? And uh, ask him to give you wisdom. But in this sermon series, uh, what I've been led to think about is uh, not what you believe, but what your friends don't believe. In the sense that this season, I want to look at how an unbeliever is missing out on what you're singing about. And so the questions that the unbeliever is having, they just can't get their heads around uh, Christmas, and so they substitute uh, a commercial Christmas or some other substitution for what is meaningful about this time, whether it be family or gifts or you know, break from school. Uh, I'm thinking about these songs that we just sang that my some of my family who don't believe in Christ, they can't, they can't, there's no passion in their heart. There's no desire for these things. And so the question that God promises, what? What are you talking about? Is the theme that the, uh, the unbeliever is going to be addressing these questions. And so I wanted to get into uh, this story beginning with the birth of Christ. And so I want to start with Luke 1 and read the story of the birth of Christ from Luke's perspective. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nath. Now, just a minute. I don't believe in angels. You want me to believe an angel? An a- you want me to believe it? In- yeah, well, hold on. Don't, don't jump the gun. Just listen to the story. What Luke says is, an angel was sent to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel, why didn't he send a prophet? I mean, there were prophets back then. Or why didn't he send a Hold your horses. God speaks in many ways, through donkeys and rocks and people and angels and Just be calm. Listen to the story. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign 
over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High God God will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. And Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. That's a strange story. You ask me to believe this Jewish myth? It's folklore. No, I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm asking you to understand it. As you get into these conversations, as you begin to talk about the Bible, you don't need to argue with people. You let the Word of God do what the Word of God does. It penetrates the heart if hearts are open. But, but it starts there with the angel. And Billy Graham said, Believers, look up. Take courage. The angels are nearer than you think. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Does he encamp around those who don't? Angels have a special ministry. Well, I don't believe in the ministry of angels. Okay, I'm not asking you to. But I want to ask you to believe in this story or to understand the story, what Luke is going to tell about what the angel was describing to Mary. And this is, gets into the story, something unusual happening here in the scripture. And this is a story written by a man, a doctor, an artist named Luke. Luke was an educated man. And it would be the doctor who would have to write the story. Not Mark, not John. Mark was a young activist and he wanted to see Jesus go here and go there and do things, accomplish things. John was talking about the divinity of Christ and doesn't even mention the birth of Jesus. There was this doctor, this bedside gentleman who would tell the story in a way that only doctors can tell stories, covering the details, but not all of them, just the essential points. And compared to the other writers, Luke gets into some of the details longer than Matthew. It's only one-fourth. Matthew's account is only one-fourth as long as Luke's. But Luke goes from birth, and he goes into the babyhood and the boyhood, as the doctor's going to follow the life story. But over and over you'll see in Luke a theme that this baby is bound for Jerusalem. Seven times in the book of Luke, when you read through that, you'll hear things like Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint because in Jerusalem there was a hill called Golgotha. From the beginning, before the beginning, even from the beginning, this one would crush the one who had the power of death. This baby came to reconstruct the entire universe to take over the power of death 
the power of disease, the power of sin. But he made his way to Jerusalem. And so Luke picks this up, that this baby, seven times in the book of Luke, was going to that cross, and that cross was for you. This baby had a purpose. This baby had a destiny. Well, why does Luke spend so much time with this birth narrative? You kind of read it the first time, you go, that's interesting, that's interesting. Why doesn't anybody else talk about this? Well, again, if you read Mark, Mark talks about Jesus being a servant. Uh, Matthew talks about Jesus being a king, the king who serves. John talks about this baby being divine. He's God. But it's Luke who talks about this one being man. And in Luke, you'll find the manhood, the, the humanness of Christ. Jesus ate. Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Jesus walked. Everything that Jesus did was on a human level. And so Luke presents us with the man, Jesus. And therefore, the birth of Jesus from his, from his mother. There's some really interesting stories. But you hear about the person of Jesus. And that's what Luke does. Mark Talks, Matthew talks about the prophecies, and, and the genealogies are different. And so as I got into this study, I, I started looking around, and, and I found this, as I do, I like to poke around the world, and so I found this international theologian, Itameling Masala, from Cape Town, Africa. He's a Methodist minister, and he's written a, an interesting book that I'm drawing a lot of these ideas from because I wouldn't have thought about these because well, it's his contribution. But what he says, when you read the book of Luke, you find this idea that there's a reversal. There's something happening in this text that's really wonderful. He says that rich people are expected to have it all while the poor have nothing. But in Luke, these expectations are reversed. Interesting. So he starts with Mary. And as you know about Mary, Mary is a young teenager, 13 to 17, depending on how you want to put that. But she's in the rural village. A little town is uh, probably too big of a, of, a, of a title to put on Nazareth. It was a backwaters place, not very big at all. Mary is very young. She was recently betrothed. The word betrothed is the root of the word truth. To be truth, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to give you the truth is to give you my word. To give you my word is to betroth you. I give myself to you. Joseph gave him his word to Mary, and the, their marriage was legal and set up before the year was to pass, before they would go to that consummation the celebration, the wedding feast. But she was recently betrothed and bound to Joseph. But Mary was an insignificant, ordinary country girl, low social status. But she knew that her pregnancy could even lead to further shame and lowering of her status. The story takes place in the, in the passages, he uh, <clears throat> says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin 
And he talks there about her cousin, uh, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, just the opposite of Mary. She was in a big city, major city. Elizabeth is older. She's married already. But she cannot bear children. Though she is the wife of a priest, she has high social status, but she's also shamed because she doesn't have any children. But with her pregnancy of John the Baptist, her status would rise. Two women. Interesting story that Luke starts the gospel with two women, and he goes to the Golgotha story where two women at the cross. The gospel starts with women and ends with women as we move out because you women have a very important place in the kingdom work. And Luke highlights that. Interesting. But here comes Mary. And Mary isn't stuck in her story because there is a reversal to this. The reversal is she is to name the baby Jesus. Interestingly, that in a patriarchal society, I think it's the man who gets to name the child. But in, in Elizabeth's case, it's Zechariah who is silenced. Zechariah doesn't get the name initially. And in Mary's case, Joseph is silent. He doesn't seem to be prominent in the picture here. But the men are set to the side, but she is told, Mary, you will name him Jesus, which is the Greek for the Hebrew Jehovah and salvation. Jehovah is your salvation. That's what Jesus means. And so Mary gives the child the name Jesus. But this rural country girl is of the line of David. And though she's poor, she's going to bring in royalty. What a privilege. From, the, from Jerusalem, surely there were other qualified women higher social status and whatever. But the Lord doesn't seem to care about your status in society. He's looking at the human heart. And when he looked on Mary, he found one perfect. This one, this poor girl would give birth to royalty. And the promise, the promise is that this child of Mary will be a great ruler. Now Mary... It's starting with you. This has started a long time ago, and God is orchestrating this from a plan of redemption, as Isaiah would say, would say, plans formed long ago. I am working out with perfect faithfulness, and nothing that God does fails. His words are true. You can trust them. God is orchestrating this event. Now, it's interesting that Mary's response is, as a country girl, I don't, I don't understand. How could this be? I'm just a virgin. I, 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 I. She's questioning God, not, not in a doubtful way, but just in a, I just don't know how this is going to work out. You ever felt like that? You don't know how God's going to work things out. 
But it is not because the angel, when, she, when Gabriel said to her, God is going to come upon you in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to figure God out. Her heart was right because she wanted to trust. There are people who try to go to God and try to Google God and analyze God and figure out God, and you can't put God in the box. Interestingly, when Zechariah raised the question, he was silenced. Mary wasn't punished for questioning. Sarah laughed when Abraham was told that promise. Well, the response of faith, God is open to people who want to know and invites those questions. And so for Mary, Mary was told that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And this woman, no name, not, not known anywhere else on earth, probably outside of Nazareth, was the mother of the Son of God. What does that say to you about the Lord? Well, who does God use? Humble, people not out for fame and glory. It's just God has a story to write, and he's writing it in her life, in Elizabeth's life. And so Mary came to understand that her story is part of a kingdom tapestry as you are part of that same tapestry. Parenthetically, let me say one thing about this. Mary, uh, it was, you've heard these phrases. Uh, this was an unusual story. This is a story of an immaculate conception, or is it a story of a miraculous conception? So you are not uninformed. And I do want you to be uninformed because this caught me. Because I'm not, I don't have this background. Do you know what immaculate conception means? If you have this understanding, it comes from a Catholic background. And the Catholic background was made, uh, it came to me in a news interview with uh, Andrew Cuomo, who was talking to Matt Gates. And they're talking about FBI and secret society and sort of going on to this conspiracy theory. And Matt Gates says to Cuomo, well, I don't get what you mean. He said, and, and Gates said, well, it's about this absurd notion. And then he inserts the phrase. It's like the absurd notion, like the immaculate conception. I couldn't believe he said that. Because Cuomo is a very devout Catholic. And right there on the spot, Cuomo says, what? A absurd notion? And he turns to Matthew Gates, who is a Christian Protestant by background, says, do you know what immaculate conception means? And he f frustratedly says, well, uh, uh, did you really want, are we here, to, did you bring me on to talk about religion, my religious beliefs? No. He says, I just want you to know, what do you think that means? He said, well, it's the notion that you can't really believe the immaculate conception, can you? And Cuomo just nails him because he says, you don't have any clue what you're talking about. Well, it's about religious thinking. Christians believe the Immaculate Conception. Just so you don't 
misunderstand. The Immaculate Conception is not about the birth of Jesus. The Immaculate Conception is not about the, the, the holiness of the Christ child because of the Holy Spirit came upon her. The Immaculate Conception, according to Christian doctrine, is Mary was completely sinless. Mary was spotless. Mary was holy and was immaculate. There's no way God would put his seed in a sinful woman. That's what immaculate means. It's not, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it's a miraculous conception. And therefore, don't get caught with that because Gates had to eat his words. Miraculous conception. And therefore, that reason, later on, ten chapters later, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out to Jesus, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Blessed is Mary. Because Mary said, people will call me blessed. But Mary is not the focus of the story. Because Jesus rebuked her and said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. For that reason, we honor Mary. We honor her obedience. We honor her devotion. We don't worship Mary. We don't ask her for blessings. We seek the son of her womb, the Lord of glory. Well, as this story continues, what you need to know about this season as we get into it, God is writing a personal narrative. It's a redemptive narrative, no doubt. It's his story. It's your story. How he can take somebody who's rich or high status and reverse and, and bring a blessing because of his presence. But understand that, that that phrase, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. God is taking the initiative through stories of these two women's lives, wrapping them, weaving them into the whole story of, of the gospel narrative, and then brings it into introducing us to Jesus, the one who is our blessed hope. Thinking about these angels, Gabriel, God speaks to us in many ways, but in the last days he's spoken to us in his son. If God were to come to you, with the same invitation, I want to give you the opportunity to honor my son. I'm going to invite you to participate, the angel would say, that you too could bring other people to birth in faith in Christ. You can introduce Christ to others. What would you do? How would your heart respond if you were Mary? When Mary would say, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He has had regard for the humble state of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. You too could be like Mary and have your heart, your soul, exulting in Christ. And therefore, let me encourage you. Let God's angels or his word or his people, his story, penetrate your heart so that you stand up like Mary. You participate in that tapestry. If God were to come to you and your heart were to respond, 
and you meet somebody who says, I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe any of the stuff. You, you, you're crazy. This is all Jewish myth and folklore. What you say is, I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm asking you to understand it. But for you, believer, to know that it is not you that's going to convince anybody to have faith. It's the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary, the same Holy Spirit that will come upon me as an unbeliever to help me come to Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Christ through your story. Well, we're going to continue because as Mary and Elizabeth brings hope that God is not done with us, he's still working on us. As we celebrate that first candle of hope, we move into the Advent season that there's more to the story, a whole lot more. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you surprise us, that you reverse, somehow you reverse these stories and our situations from Mary and you just elevate her in your eyes. Thank you that she knows that the Mighty One has done great things and so we too can know that you do great things for us. Father, would you use our stories and our lives to reach those who don't know you, but give us the courage just to stand up and fly the flag, to say we are Christians, we know him, and we invite others to know him. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless, uh, bless your son through us. And so, Father, as we enter into this season, may your Holy Spirit come upon us as well and draw us to your son, that we might adore him. And so we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.